Everything is falling apart, and the Centauri are at the center of it all. The Centauri government accuses you of moving Babylon 5 from neutrality to a pro-non position. Then Earth is ready to take sides. Don't hold your breath. Sounds like they've been sucking down thruster fumes. Hello and welcome to Who Are You, a Babylon 5 Watchcast hosted by two former strangers, now friends, who have gotten to know each other and will continue to get to know each other while rewatching a favorite show from their childhood, Babylon 5. I'm Jafar. And I'm Laura. And today, Laura, I get to ask you, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Do you know who I am? Well, we joked off pod for a minute before this that I should just answer with my name over and over and over again. <laughs> but I won't do that to you listeners. You know, it's it's been kind of a rough week for me. I had a lot going on at work and I just really like to relax when I get home. And so mm-hmm. like lately, I'm just kind of also a TV watcher. I'm just watching a yeah. lot of TV and shows and not as many books lately. I know we've talked about, you know, books I was reading before. So... I'm just turning off the reading part of my brain and enjoying some escapism through the television lately. Yeah, what have you been watching? Well, you know, we've been watching the new Star Wars, Andor. I don't know if you've picked that one up, have you? I have watched the first episode. Okay. And I have been waiting for time to watch it with Beth. We've had other things higher on our queue list than Andor, so we're kind of letting it build up a bit, and I think we'll just watch it all. probably. Given our current rate and what we're watching, I'm going to guess by Monday we'll probably start watching it. Yeah. So Andor dropped like three episodes on the first day. Yes. And because our son is very like anti-Star Wars right now, I think it's just because he wants to push back against what daddy likes, you know? Uh, (laughs) He's been a, a bit of a pain if we try to watch it when he's still awake. Yeah. So we haven't made it through all of the episodes yet, so nobody get any spoilies out there in the Discord, please. But I've been really impressed. You liking it? I, I am. I mean, I like Diego Luna. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's kind of nice to see a Star Wars that is not prominently featuring lightsabers and Jedi stuff right yeah. away. Well, that was what was the thing about Rogue One, you know, mm-hmm. the, the uh, sequel to that, I guess. This is a prequel. It was, it was like, oh, it's the first Star Wars brave enough to not have magic. Yeah, I I really liked Rogue One. I probably just bawled my eyes out at the end of that movie when I saw it yeah. in the theaters. Like, so good. I know there's it can be divisive and some people in the community don't like it, but I liked it a lot. There's Star Wars <laughs> as a community is the biggest group of adults broken up about their fifis about a kid show. <laughs> <laughs> You're damn straight. Star Wars is for children, y'all. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love Star Wars. Don't get me wrong. And I've got a ton of a very... I'll talk about how great The Last Jedi is for forever. But mm-hmm. it is a children's movie. It is children's show. It is yeah. not for you. If yeah. you do not like it in its current form, it is not for you. That's okay. It doesn't all have to be for you. And when it was made for you when you were a kid and you loved it and it was for you, 
Like, of course, it has changed for the people that it is for now. Sorry. I, right. I do not mean to monopolize your time, Laura. <laughs> no, I think the Star Wars community is hard to... It's hard to talk about a Star Wars show without, like, embracing the fact that, yeah, it's gotten a little weird. And, yeah. you, you know, you got to just enjoy stuff. Yeah. If it's you want okay adult stuff, I watch it. Star Trek, you nerd. <laughs> And it's okay to just enjoy Star Trek, too. <laughs> 100%. Enjoy what you like. I'm not here to yuck anyone's yums. I'm not here to mm-hmm. shit in anyone's cereal box. Yeah. So I, I'm really enjoying that sort of, like, non-traditional Star Wars. And then we also are watching The Great British Baking Show is back. Ah. Uh, don't, don't know if you caught that on Netflix, but we're on another season. I, I watched the first couple, and I haven't been mm-hmm. back. Yeah. But I do love that show. I'm adoring the group of people that they have this time, mm-hmm. the bakers. And of course, I just love Noel Fielding, who is the one of the comedians, comedian yeah, hosts. I haven't on there. watched any of his seasons. Oh, so. really? He's wacky and just wears the best clothes, and I love him. And of course, you know, Paul Hollywood is always so. He's not mean, but they think he's mean. Like, <laughs> they, they consider. <laughs> Things Paul Hollywood says mean, and I'm just like, God, he's being so nice. You all should feel so grateful you're not on an American show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, our reality TV contestants get thrown into pits of water and stuff. It is is a completely different world over here. (laughs) If you're in the food show, you have Gordon Ramsay screaming in your face. Like, (laughs) yeah, or worse, you have Alton Brown tying you up with literal bondage gear while asking you to cook things. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So these these people are very lucky. And it's a very calming show. Like if you've had a bad week, you know, just get yourself some cookies, make a cup of tea and watch the Great British Baking Show and just have Mm -hmm. no steaks for a while and just get to know some delightful people. I believe when you're watching the Great British Baking Show, it's called Biscuits and Tea (laughs) for tax purposes. Right, right. So third show, gosh, we are watching House of the Dragon. We don't get to it every single Sunday when it's coming out, Mm -hmm. necessarily. It's been very interesting and different than Game of Thrones. It's one of those things, guys. Yeah. You got to just enjoy things if if you want to, if you want to partake. Like, don't get to bound up in the the George R. R. Martin stuff and the books and like <laughs> you can you can easily ruin the experience of House of the Dragon by being way too into the whole Game of Thrones universe. You know, some of the criticisms with George R. R. Martin's universe about, you know, God, women just get shit all over. I think yes. this show is more aware of that and treats it with more respect and okay. some of the some of the you know because obviously it's hbo right so you have sex scenes in this show that's just gonna yeah. happen that's what hbo is for right yeah <laughs> some, yeah no some... i watched i saw matt smith's sex scene in the first episode and that was enough to make me never want to watch doctor who again <laughs> <laughs> right 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 so there was that one but then you know we get a little further and you know we actually had a woman director in that one and it's definitely treated differently the sex scenes than just like 
in Game of Thrones when you'd be in a brothel and just we're we're all having sex for no reason. Like like yeah. and there's no reason to necessarily be having this conversation in the brothel. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I I feel a difference in the vibe. I can see why it's not for everybody, and I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm just really like sucked into the story and so I need to know what happens. <laughs> I have a feeling it's something I will pick up when the first season is done. Yeah. At yeah. this point. If you're if like feeds are not trying to spoil you on it, there is no reason to necessarily have to watch. Right and they now. aren't. No, my social media is I've got a couple of friends who are on some shit posting groups and I see like comments they're making where someone mm-hmm. complains about something. And so they tell them to shut the fuck up and it's great. Yeah. But that's that's all I, I'm getting right now. But the show that we've been watching like intensely is for all mankind. I have heard that I need to watch it. Oh, it's so fucking good. I guess Oklahoma shows up in a prominent way at some point, and I need to see it. <laughs> like, it's mentioned or something, I've I've heard. So, I won't say anything. I'm in the middle of season three right now. It is in a very interesting format. I would say that it's it's heavily ser- serialized, but it's also very, like, season capstone-y. Okay. It's very interesting in how it does things. I won't spoil. And it is alternate history. It's from Ron Moore who gave uh-huh. us Battlestar Galactic re- Reboot, who gave us uh, mm. a bunch of Deep Space Nine, um, yeah. all kinds of stuff. And he changes one event in 1963 and just keeps going from this point. And so the show starts a couple of years after that. Huh. And the first scene is like the Russians landing. It's the moon landing, right? But uh-huh. it's two weeks early and it's the Russians. And it just starts uh. with the Russians landing on the moon and going from there. Yeah. So yeah, that's a few things. It's just, it's nice to be able to immerse myself in someone else's story. I understand. I tend to go through cycles um, Mm -hmm. where I will be like, I'll play video games. Like that's what I do in my time off, like my free time for entertainment. I'll play video games and I'll do that like very intensely for like two months. I'll just be like nose down playing Destiny for three or four hours a day every day. And then I'll come out of that and I'll read and I'll read like five or six novels And then I'll set that down and then I'll watch TV and I'll find a couple shows and I'll binge those. I I probably go through the cycle three times a year. Maybe. Yeah. I can totally see that. I feel like that's what I'm doing is I'm in a phase and I'm just in this a little more passive entertainment phase and you know, it'll pass and there'll be something else. So. So that's the TV that we're watching now, but what Mm -hmm. TV were we watching back in 95? Laura, I think we have an episode of Babylon five to review. I think we do. And I think I put a li- I'm not as passive when I watch this show. I want to promise that to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've got season two, episode 22, The Fall of Night. It's the season two finale. We know our Babylon finales get crazy. We know they happen at the end of the year. Also, this episode was nominated for a Nebula Award. Very nice. There was an episode earlier in the season, The Coming of Shadows, that was nominated and won. And I talked a bunch about this episode was also nominated, but they turned down the nomination so not to as split the vote, which is a thing that you get offered when you have like two episodes from a series get nominated. They would reach out to and be like, hey, do you want both or do you want 12 Monkeys to get in? And JMS was like, 12 Monkeys was great. Give it the nom. Yeah, that's very magnanimous. (laughs) When we put it like that, it is. But he did win because the vote wasn't split. So. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) That helps too, doesn't it? (laughs) And Coming of Shadows was a really good episode. Really good episode. 
Well, we open on Kiefer, just to remind of his existence, playing some space paintball. And Sheridan is talking about some Centauri tactics here. He's training the team in case yeah. they need to fight some Centauri, which, oh, oh, I wonder if that's foreshadowing. <laughs> I love that he mentions the gravity that some alien races can take a higher G-force. Yeah. And that they need to be aware of that when they're planning their attack or you know, mm-hmm. planning their response. I'm not going to say attack because yeah, you know, in theory, we're just defending ourselves, right? Um, yeah. I mean, we're the good guys. So yes, that's what <laughs> culturally we have to do. That's what America's right. always done. Just defended mm-hmm. ourselves in foreign mm-hmm. countries. 100%. <laughs> and proud to be an American. <laughs> yeah. Also, he notes that some cultures might not care about blacking out. Like, uh-huh. they'll just, culturally, I'm cool with trusting the autopilot doing this crazy flip thing if it means I get to shoot you in 30 seconds when I wake up. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that that sci-fi touch. is not something that I would have noticed when I was a small person watching this. Yeah. But since since I've read The Expanse, like, I I understand more a little bit of, like, the different effects gravity has when yeah. you have more of it, especially. So they're they're doing these space maneuvers and they get a Sheridan gets a call from Ivanova uh, with an emergency in CNC. Mm-hmm. After this, we cut over to Lanier and Veer doing what appears to be a daily commiseration. They never listen to us. Makes me nervous. Yeah, this is super cute. They basically just worry dump each other every day. Yeah. <laughs> about whatever they're worried about that their ambassadors are doing, and I'm. I was thinking about this. Have we seen these two together very much in this show up until this point? I don't believe so, but I love it. Yeah. I mean, if we've seen them together, I think it's been in the company of their ambassadors. But I like that they have each other to lean on and they they do their dump and then they are like, okay, same time tomorrow. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) So Ivanova meets Sheridan in the locker room as he's complaining about the performance of the, I think it's Zeta Squad and Delta Squad that are out there, but he had a whole bunch mm-hmm. of the, the fighters out there. He wants the squads to train more and harder. And if you look at this scene around the 220 mark, he's he's complaining about their performance to Ivanova. And the, there's two people in the background, and they are having some very mm-hmm. funny reactions to everything they're saying. Watch <laughs> the guy, <laughs> especially. There's a the man and a woman. And the dude gets some great looks on his face, especially when Ivanova says that she could start issuing live ammo to uh, improve morale. <laughs> so just... Oh, that's fun. If you weren't looking in the background of the scene, listener, I beg you, go back and watch because it's, it's nice work from these extras. Uh, we cut over to Sheridan's office and we find that that important thing that pulled him away from the fighter training is that the Centauri have attacked both the Drazi and the Pakmara. Yeah, they're very calm when they're talking to Sheridan about this. Too calm. Yeah. But I mean, it also might be expected in a, in mm-hmm. a number of ways at this point. I, I don't think we've seen any big emotion from a Pakmara at all. We know the Drazi can get a little animated. Purple. Green. But yeah, they're they're very calm for people who are concerned about being invaded after theme sheridan and londo meet londo is dismissive that they are just stabilizing the region Mm. establishing a presence you know the the huge yeah sheridan is very personal 
in his address to Londo. Mm-hmm. He uses a lot of yous accusingly, speaking almost as though he's speaking to Londo and not about you, the Centauri government, or you, the Centauri race. Yeah. Londo is kind of fed up, though, about this whole thing. Sheridan's just like, show me on a map where it ends. Mm-hmm. Like, can you show me on a map where it's going to end? And Londo just gets pissed. Yeah. And that's the end of that. Uh, he threatens Sheridan and leaves. We cut to Garibaldi, noting that Londo has changed dramatically. He's a little empathetic, saying Londo is riding a wild horse. He holds on tighter because he can't risk falling off. Yeah, this is a very sharp contrast to how we saw him deal with Jakar in the last episode. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't even feel like he can talk to Londo about this. He doesn't know who Londo is anymore, even though they were such good friends in season one. After this, a Earth Force VIP arrives, Frederick Lance from the Ministry of Peace. Mm-hmm. JMS notes that this character is based on Neville Chamberlain, the British Prime Minister from 1937 to 1940, <laughs> who had a policy of Nazi appeasement. Yeah, it's not so thinly that worked veiled. Out real well. No, he he actually quotes him directly at one point in the episode. Yes, I remember that. I. I did highlight that in my memory. So yeah. Mr. Lance, and he has a, a lackey with him of some sort, someone else in the Ministry of Peace. Yes, Mr. Wells, who should look a little familiar. Mm-hmm. Or at least sound. We've seen him before. <laughs> yeah, this is Naroon. Yeah. Without all the loaf. He's got all the makeup off, yeah. Very nice uh, hair. We do get, I was shocked at how much he looked like Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. <laughs> we do get a uh, fighter pilot. In the staging area, uh, someone mentions a uh, shadow ship and tells Kiefer. Yeah, someone's seen a ghost in hyperspace. Someone has seen the ghost besides mm-hmm. Kiefer. Yep. And then uh, Mr. Lance and Mr. Wells arrive, and they uh, pay some lip service to being fascist bureaucrats. I, I, I tuned this scene out, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I just was not interested in anything they had to say. Yeah, I was just staring at the armband on Mr. Wells. He's very clearly from the Night Watch. Yes. Kiefer gets a drink and some shit from another pilot until he gets them to talking about the shadow ship sighting. Yeah. And the other pilot's just like, don't go chasing waterfalls. Like, this is a bad idea, yo. Why would you want to see this thing again? It's been in my dreams. Yeah, he can tell from Keffer's description that he obviously saw it. Like, he knows yeah. exactly what this is. But he does not understand why Keffer would possibly want to go see it again. Hmm. He doesn't understand that, like, need to prove that he's right. <laughs> Cut over to Ivanova and Lance, who are talking about meetings with the ambassadors. And he says he's trying to build a legacy for his children's children. Mm-hmm. And then a jump point opens on the far side of the planet. And a Narn heavy cruiser arrives and requests sanctuary. Yeah. They were on a deep space scouting mission and managed to survive the main Centauri attack. They are probably the last Narn cruiser left. So uh, all of that fleet that we had, we have one left. And it's currently hiding behind yeah. Epsilon 3, trying to repair its engines. And I think they're almost out of supplies. Yeah. They're like diverting power away from the med bay to heal people. Yeah. To, to be able to keep their engines running. It's a whole thing. It is not good for them. They are in dire straits. Mm-hmm. Not Rune comes to talk to Ivanova <laughs> about her career after this. Yeah. 
He's very complimentary. Yeah. Oh, her record is exemplary. Yeah. Yeah. So he lays it on thick and she's, you know, up for command maybe in the next five years. But hey, if you help out Nightwatch, maybe we could make that happen sooner. It's his promise. And she's just like, fuck off. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, look, I'm not interested in personal gain at the expense of the trust of others. Just outright. She did not drink. She's not bashful. Yeah. No. She tells him exactly what she thinks, and he's just all like, well, if that's your opinion of Nightwatch, then you clearly don't understand Nightwatch, but that's okay. The offer remains on the table. And it's all like, oh, no, she clearly understands your bullshit. <laughs> She's like, I have you know it. I've read World War II history, and I know what's up here. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen this documentary, and I am not interested. She shows him the automated door. (laughs) What a power move. Just open the door. Like, obviously, I don't have this in my smart home, but I would 100% use it to sass people if I did. Yeah. Sheridan calls up Jakar and tells him about the cruiser, about Mr. Lance's presence and purpose on the station. Jakar has hope for the first time in a long time. Mm, But it already feels awkward, doesn't it? A little bit. The fact that they did not ask to talk to any of the Narn that are left should have been a big hint. <laughs> and how he is treated when he encounters Mr. L- Mr. Lance later. Yeah. Really just tells you what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that. First, Zach goes to the rally and gets told he's not suspicious enough. <laughs> he needs to be a better narc. Fucking pig. Yeah. Everyone has turned in their list of, you know, five possible suspects or whatever except for him yeah and he's shamed for it yeah you didn't hear him say something possibly seditious Mm -hmm. like he's complaining about taxes (laughs) and i'm from america so that seems very normal to me (laughs) (laughs) right right yeah he gets publicly shamed into being a shittier person yeah, he's he's really peer pressured here, right? This is very after school special vibes mm-hmm. of, you know, we're all narking on our neighbors and we're all piling on this one shopkeeper in particular, I think. And they force him to comply. Meanwhile, Kiefer gets a data crystal with some exhaust readings from the crab ship. He's told he's seeking his own death. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Not foreshadowing at all. (laughs) Nope. Ivanova and Lance talk to the non-aligned worlds, but Jakar, as they're leaving, Jakar is trying to get his audience with Lance, even though he wasn't invited. And Lance gives him a big brush off. Yeah. He handles this in a way that HR would be proud of. (laughs) It is very corporate HR, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't say anything and leaves immediately. Yeah. Let me get my lawyer. (laughs) Lance comes to see Sheridan in CNC to tell us what's going on. The Earth Centauri non-aggression pact. Uh, He then quotes Neville Chamberlain to commercial. Not foreshadowing at all. Yeah. We come back to Ivanova and Sheridan talking in his office. They feel the non-aggression pact is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Ivanovan notes it's almost a new year and gives him a holiday present. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever. A piece of shrapnel from the Black Star. <laughs> uh, which is going to be really hard to explain to Delenn next time she's in his quarters. I'm sorry, Ambassador. Your signal is breaking up. I'll have to call you back. Yeah, for real. And also just like, what a weird thing to get somebody. Here's this shrapnel from... 
you know, what might have been a dark time in your life when you killed a lot of yeah. people. <laughs> I mean, she says it's to remind him that the impossible is only that until someone proves it otherwise. Because this is something he's done by being able to destroy a Mimbari cruiser. Okay, okay. Does she say how she got this? Because She does. Okay. Um, she goes on for a little bit that apparently a handful of pieces of it were held by EarthGov uh-huh. and, and EarthForce. And she found like one that was like stored somewhere that no one cared about uh-huh. and requested They it. weren't all classified, and, like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at it, it's like a little metal bobbin. Mm, like yeah. it's like... A couple inches of metal welded. It looks like it's a joint of a wall or something. Like it's it doesn't look like it's a particularly important piece of Mimbari yeah. technology. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I was like, man, that's that's a thing that we're gonna do in the future as humans, isn't it? Like when we get in space battles and somebody is gonna go out there and chop up the remnants of the ships and sell them to people. Yeah. There is a game about it. Yeah, I believe it. Hardship Space Breaker is a game that is capitalist dystopia. You cool. like are a starving person who can't afford anything, and you take a job that's super dangerous, dismantling spaceships in orbit <laughs> that are like being decommissioned, and you like pull all the salvage that's important out. You throw all the metal in the metal thing. You throw all the plastic in the plastic mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. And you make money and occasionally the ships blow up on you and then you get cloned and brought back right to where you were doing the thing. (laughs) Oh, man. And then you get charged for when you die and you start the game like a billion dollars in debt. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, capitalist dystopia. It's a really good game. (laughs) It's a really good game. It is. I would not describe the experience as fun for most of it, but it is really enjoyable and I, I like it. I like tearing apart ships because it's like, ooh, I'm getting in the minutia of like tearing apart this ship. This is fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's the engine. Let me be really careful as I lower it. Oh, I exploded. So if you don't get enough capitalist dystopia in your daily life, listener, just go ahead and join Jafar <laughs> over there. <laughs> Come to think of it, that's a game that I only played in the current presidential administration. And much like <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077, I couldn't in the last. Yeah. Just emotionally, I couldn't handle it. Yeah, I can see that. I've watched Aaron play Cyberpunk 2077, and I get it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Lando calls. He's mad as hell that they're sheltering a cruiser. Sheridan tries to warn the Narn that a Centauri cruiser arrives just fucking immediately. He gets on the horn and is all like, hey, the Centauri know. Oh, shit. They're here already. Yeah. This stupid um, night watch. It's their fault. Yes. <sighs> this is where someone tells the minister what's going on. Yeah. Someone from CNC is a snitch. And we know what happens to snitches. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they tell the superiors things that get them in trouble yeah. snitches are bitches <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you know i'm a pacifist yeah for for as much as combat as i've enjoyed fake combat as i've enjoyed in my life uh real combat is not for you're me. not out there cutting up snitches <laughs> i do not want to hurt a person ever it sounds terrible yeah i wish that londo felt that way because <laughs> then well i guess the show would be a little bit more boring wouldn't it but <laughs> <laughs> if everyone just got along the entire time the babylon project a success <laughs> <laughs> honestly after the last few years we've had jaffer i would watch that show and i would i would put on a cup of tea 
and I would get me some cookies and I would just watch people get along and I would love it. <laughs> oh boy. I actually, I can't even say shit because I watch a YouTube series. It's literally that. Oh, cool. I have, I have a YouTube series that's about rebuilding a boat from a 1920, oh, cool. 1910. And it's literally just an hour of people woodworking and replacing things on this boat every two weeks for the last five years. Yeah, that sounds great. Aaron watched this one. It's a series about a guy who bought a uh, ghost town. I think it's in Mm -hmm. California or Nevada or something. You know, it used to be a a silver mining place. And he's just like Mm -hmm. fixing up the ghost town. And that's his YouTube channel. (laughs) (laughs) Similar vibe, I think. 100% similar vibe. You should send me that link. I'll send him the one I have. Okay, will do. Anyways, uh, fighters scramble to protect and escort the cruiser away from the station. Yeah, you really almost think here that they're going to be able to do it, right? You're like, Mm -hmm. because we had that Mimbari ship that showed up and was threatening to fire on the station, and then it never did. Yeah, And you think, okay, we've seen this sort of situation before, and we've gotten through it. It's going to be okay. Until it's not. (laughs) It's not really okay. Yeah. Lando calls again and Sheridan tells them how it is. They're going to use deadly force if they fire on anything. Like, I'm going to protect this fucking station. Fuck off. Hangs up the phone, drops the mic. Mm -hmm. The cruiser is protected while it's here. During this, Lance is mad as hell and tries to make it all about him. Yeah, this is where we should keep these people off of fucking CNC, right? (laughs) Right. You mean an old white guy busted in and tried to make it all about him? Huh. Into somewhere that he really shouldn't be. That he doesn't belong. He definitely doesn't belong. Yeah. No. Not his space to be. Huh. Huh. Do not start getting delusions of grandeur. <laughs> the Centauri fire on the Narn and B5 ending a standoff that holds for a moment. B5 loses a pylon, which is something we've seen in the opening mm-hmm. scene for forever. Yeah. Finally, um, we get to see why right. when it happens. The Narn escape and Babylon 5 destroys the Centauri cruiser. Yeah. There's a little bit about JMS talking about how space combat works in the Babylon 5 universe from the Usenet. And that is fighters engage fighters and capital ships engage capital ships. Okay. And the reason it works that way, and you'll notice the Centauri did not launch fighters, is Uh, exactly this. Because the fighters were able to focus on the cruiser and take out its weapons, leaving it defenseless for Babylon 5 to destroy. Okay. So the fighters, because they're up close, are able to get in and target key systems, Mm -hmm. disabling them, allowing Babylon 5 to fully disable and then inadvertently destroy because they didn't try to destroy the cruiser. It explodes after the fighting is done. Mm -hmm. But that's why the combat works that way is because if you don't have fighters to protect your vulnerable systems on the big ships, Mm -hmm. the big ships go down. Okay. Okay. So... Theoretically, you could engage your fighters with a, a big ship and say the big ship doesn't have fighters, and you could use them to disable those systems and not have to destroy it. But yeah, that's not what happens. I mean, when it's actively firing on you and you've got a quarter of a million lives right, wrapped in right. thirty million tons of steel. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a that's a theoretical. All alone in the night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Zeta Squadron made it through the jump gate with the Narn ship. Mm -hmm. 
So crucially, they are in hyperspace right now. That will be important later. But we cut to his office where Sheridan asserts to Lance and Wells that he did nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. And he's right. He quotes regulations. He's got the receipts. Mm -hmm. He's all like, there was a distress call from a species we're not at war with. I'm obligated to answer it. And I did. Mm -hmm. General Order 47. Attacked the station. Mm -hmm. Yep. They attacked the station. I'm obligated to defend it. I did. Tell me what I did wrong. You can't. And then the, mm-hmm. Wells is even like, yeah, the Joint Chiefs are with you on this one. You you did everything you were supposed to according to the rules. Mm-hmm. But. But you shouldn't have been offering sanctuary to that Narn cruiser. That was the line. Yeah. Uh, if you had said something before, we could have told the Centauri and they could have come and just taken it and taken it back to the Narn homeworld and nothing bad would have happened. No, they all would have been fine. Right? I mean. Yeah. The humans would have been fine. Mm, indeed. I don't know how many people died on that pylon. They don't talk about it. <laughs> Nobody's in the pylon, right? I'm going to guess no one. We don't really know what purpose those serve, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah. We've never seen a ship dock on them or anything. I imagine a capital ship would dock. Or, no, even when we see the capital ships, <sighs> like when the Earth cruiser shows up, the Agamemnon and stuff, the deep space cruiser. They're all side by side. They don't dock on those. Yeah, pylons. they come over on transport or something. Yeah. 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 They take shuttles over in between. So I don't know what those pylons are for. They might not serve much of a purpose. They're just full of besides robots. Besides looking cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that might be it. Might just be drone storage. Mm-hmm. Dead drone storage now. Yep. It's all gone. Yep. Anyways, Sheridan reminds them that how politically inconvenient it is. It's not against the rules. And. The only cost of this in the end is going to be Sheridan's pride. He's going to be forced to apologize formally at the Zen Garden because it's a nice, convenient area that is Mm non-political in front of a bunch of ambassadors. And this whole issue will be dropped. The Centauri are willing to drop it in the name of peace of our new non-aggression pact. Mm -hmm. If you just say you're sorry. Just say you're sorry. We're sorry. I'm deeply sorry. Sorry. Zeta Squad continues to escort the Narn cruiser away from Babylon 5 in hyperspace when Kiefer gets a signal that matches the shadow ship. Yeah. Ooh, he breaks off to investigate. Alone. He went alone. <laughs> well, he is an idiot. You never do so. that. Has he never seen a horror film? <laughs> Sheridan gets in his dress uniform and almost practices an apology before heading off to the Zen Garden. I love this. Because I would absolutely monologue this same apology in, you know, certain circumstances. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I have. Mm -hmm. I have sat in the mirror in the bathroom going, I'm sorry, you're a fucking idiot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I hate it when people do the non-apology in, you know, a public or like in... In an interpersonal situation, they're like, I'm sorry you feel that way. And it's like, honey, mm. that's not an apology. Well, that, that is not an apology. I'm sorry I made you feel that way Uh-huh. is an apology. Yeah, that takes some ownership of it. But I'm sorry right. you feel and that way puts ownership back on the aggrieved party. Exactly. It is not. That is not an apology. You have to. If you do not take ownership of anything, it is not an apology. Right. This has been Kindergarten 101 with your fair and Laura. <laughs> but in this case, I am absolutely on Sheridan's side with it. He doesn't need to apologize. 
I agree. And he knows it's a sham. And yeah. I think he's just working it out of his oh, system yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. He's just getting it out in front of the mirror so he doesn't do it in the garden. <laughs> yeah. Which I also understand. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to sit in your car and scream mm-hmm. into the endless night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, Kiefer finds the shadow ship and starts to record it as the ambassadors gather. We see Jakar in the bushes. <laughs> oh my God. Jakar's just like hiding behind a fern. And I need this GIF. I need it. I need, I, I'm sure it exists. I need it. I need it for Teams chat. I'm going to start using it instead of Homer Simpson receding into the bushes. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> He's not, not subtle, my friend. And I love mm-hmm. how, because we haven't filled this scene up with a bunch of extras either. So we see like Londo standing over here and Jakar hiding in the bush. And I'm mm-hmm. like, there's no way that Londo doesn't know he's there. <laughs> Like, this is a small garden. (laughs) We could have used a few more extras to, like, make it beefier and make it seem... Feel packed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really small set. Like, this set feels crowded when it's more than Delenn plus one. Right. Anytime we've had three people in this set, it's been all like, oh, it's a little tight in the Zen garden. Yeah. So... And we have a lot of the ambassadors here. You know, we have Kosh, we have Londo. There's some... Drazi, some Pakmara. There's all kinds of ambassadors here. I wonder how they feel right now. (laughs) Probably not great, but they probably don't know what's about to happen. Yeah. Yeah. They don't they don't Um, know also that, you know, Sheridan doesn't want to do this apology either. Like that Sheridan It's true. I'm sure they will when he delivers it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Yeah. They but they they kind of are probably on unstable ground here. They know that they've been attacked. They know that the Centauri cruiser's been shot down, but they don't know. They've talked to someone from EarthGov. Like, yeah, you know, like the, the Earth is about to get involved and Sheridan's about to make a statement. Yeah. Might be their thoughts. They might be really excited right now. Like, hopeful, excited. Yeah. Not- well, the Centauri just attacked an Earth station. Yeah. Yeah. Like, really? Like, they might be thinking Earth's about to declare war on the Centauri. That is not out of the realm of possibility yeah. here. Yeah. Oh, man. To be inside their minds in this scene. Right. I mean, why do you think Jakar's there? If you, if Jakar mm-hmm. knew that Sheridan was there to just apologize for attacking a Centauri cruiser, you think he would bother showing up? Mm. He'd be in his room smashing something. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Finding point. a glass table to throw someone to. Yeah. But uh, at least, you know, he gets to tell Ivanova, like, I support what he did. But yeah. We get a couple of cuts in here between the Zen Garden, Keither, and Sheridan. So we. Go back to Keither, and he gets straight up disintegrated. Yeah. Like, his ship does not... We don't see, like, thing the laser beam cut his ship in half. We get him, and if you freeze frame it, you can see him actually melt. Yeah, it's straight up, like, screaming flesh off bones, like... Yeah. JMS was a little too happy with how this visual effect turned out. Really? (laughs) When reading over his notes. Yeah. Oh, he was quite proud to put out that he disintegrated this dude. (laughs) Do you think he had a beef with the actor? <laughs> well, he had a beef with the character. The yeah. character was forced upon him by the studio. Oh, they wanted a handsome young man. He didn't want man. Keith in the plot at all. They want, Yeah, they wanted a handsome young man who was a fighter pilot. Mm. That was a kind of a 90s thing, wasn't it? We were coming off Top Gun. We had a thing about... Yeah. Mark Hamill was just wing commander. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
or was about to be Wing Commander. Was that Freddie Prince Jr. in that movie too? Remember <laughs> that right? I don't know. I haven't seen Wing Commander. Ben just gasped. Anyways, Sheridan boards a tram. He's on there with a bunch of other people. One stop later, everyone else gets off the tram and there's a Centauri bomb waiting for him. Yeah. We know it's a Centauri bomb because like all of their weapons, it has their fucking hair on it uh, <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and this dude is, this dude who planted this bomb is not subtle. He like me and no. mugs Sheridan like glaring, which I mean, I guess Sheridan probably just chalked it up to, well, I did just destroy their ship. But yeah, he's not subtle with his looks. Not at all. He overrides the emergency door and jumps out. Yeah. Now he is in a, the center of B5. Mm -hmm. B5's artificial gravity is caused by the spinning of the station. Mm -hmm, correct. So he's not quite in zero G. Right. He is slowly drifting, but it is not like one-to-one -one with how you would expect gravity to work. Mm -hmm. So there's time. I would say the time of drama. Yes. Like it is, it is particularly enough time to be very dramatic. Mm -hmm. The ground is spinning up at him, right? It's... Yeah. So that's that's well, the danger. Even, Ivanova notes, that's what will kill him. Yeah. It's not the fall that will kill him because the gravity is so weak here. Mm -hmm. It is the speed that Babylon 5 is spinning at that he is not. Yes. That is what will cause his death. It will just rush up to meet him, like, literally. Yeah, it's like getting hit by a car going 60 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. Ivanova calls for jetpacks. We don't get to see them. It's a damn shame. But I really wanted the B-5 jetpacks. Yeah, like even if these people were just like suiting up and getting close or, you know, something. I want to know what these jetpacks look like. Are they rocket boots? Yeah. Like, what do we got? Yeah. Is it just straight up from Russia with love? Like, <laughs> I want to see this jetpack. Mm -hmm. But we don't. Delenn goes to Kosh and tells them that they must act. And Kosh gets out of their suit, flies to catch the falling Sheridan. Yeah. The big Kosh reveal. Fucking angels. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, let's let's talk about this. Uh-huh. Go for it. There's there's a ton to unpack in this single scene. There is. So Kosh flies out of their suit and Delenn is all like, oh, that is a Mimbari angel, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The Drazi see a Drazi creature of light. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone sees what is culturally appropriate for them. Jakar sees an uh, angelic Narn figure. Yes. Jalan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever. You know, Lando sees nothing. Yeah. We find out. Lando looks up and it doesn't cut to anything because he doesn't see anything. Yeah. Everyone's like, whoa. And he looks up. He's like, yeah, Sheridan's falling. This is fucking weird. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. So fucking angels. I've got some notes from JMS. Okay. I can do them now. Or if you want to say your piece on this bit beforehand, go for it. The only piece I have on this bit is I do have a question. Yeah. Do you feel like it could possibly be open-ended at this point on what if Londo saw something, but he didn't want to admit that he saw something? Or... In terms of the narrative, uh -huh. yes. In terms of JMS speaking about it afterwards, mm -hmm. he is quite definitive. Londo actually could not see anything. And I remember it being definitive. I feel like at some point, maybe maybe later in the third or fourth season or something, it comes back and he like sincerely admits not yeah. seeing anything. But the way he says it at the end of this episode, part of me was like, hmm. The, the way he said it, it seemed almost like it could have been him just denying he saw something. Yes. So I, I almost like to think of it that way, like leaving that a little more open-ended for longer, like 
Did mm-hmm. he see an angel and didn't want to admit it because it made him uncomfortable? Or did he see something else entirely that made him uncomfortable? If you did not listen to the spoilies section of the guest episode that we did with Gray 17, Yum Yum, Babylon 5 for the first time, uh-huh. I'm missing at least one or two of the podcasts that joined us. That that episode that we talked about, the League of Non-Aligned Podcasts, uh-huh. which I love that I name. I do love that name. That's uh, very cute. I brought up something there in relation to this scene specifically about hopes for the reboot, mm-hmm. which is to flip it on an end, and I hope the Vorlons are devils. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll put that in here now, because that is, don't wait till the end, I guess, of watching the show for that little bit if you were going to planning on doing that (laughs) um that that was my big comment there is i hope the reboot takes things like this and subverts our expectations based off the original Mm -hmm. i think that'd be really cool yeah all right jms's notes from usenet do tell so apparently these aliens are very similar to the aliens in the abyss i haven't seen the abyss since i was like 10 and i don't remember what the aliens looked like i don't know if i've ever seen Um, it this was apparently a common criticism of the Vorlon visual effect. Uh, Joe Straczynski notes, it is not intentional, but Steve Berg, who did the Vorlon effects, also did the alien effects in the abyss. Hmm. <laughs> so it's a, it's a signature style. Yeah. He also notes that humans of different beliefs would see, wouldn't necessarily see a Christian angel. Okay. They would see something appropriately, an appropriate variant of some variety for their belief system. Mm-hmm. We only see Sheridan's view of Kosh, mm-hmm. right? All the views of Kosh are the exact person that we see making the comment, their view of Kosh. Oh, um, that makes you wonder if Ivanova saw something slightly different being of the Jewish yeah. faith. Yeah. She probably did. And we don't see that probably because it might have been needlessly confusing. Yeah, yeah, And it also kind of contradicts what Delenn says in a moment, Mm -hmm. in a a scene or two down the line where she's all like, according to their type. Mm -hmm. But it is strictly your belief. This is an active thing Kosh is doing, Mm -hmm. is the other thing, is when Kosh reveals themselves to a single person, it is like a reflex, Mm -hmm. but to have a different persona and vision to so many other people is very straining on Kosh. Okay. Which is why Kosh gets back, goes back in the encounter suit and then pieces and then hides out in their ship for the remainder of the time that we, of this season. Yeah. Like there's no Kosh anywhere. It's also very clearly stated that only Delenn and Sheridan are aware that that was Kosh. Ah, uh, so everyone else didn't see the encounter suit come up. They didn't see they anything. were yeah. yeah. Delenn and Kosh were in the like maze, right? Yeah, yeah. So they were hidden from view of everyone. So you, no one else saw Kosh leave the encounter suit, catch Sheridan, and then come back down. They just saw the angel in the sky catching Sheridan after the explosion. Mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, we, we had a previous episode, a few episodes back, where Lita showed back up, and she went to see Kosh, mm-hmm. and she asked to see Kosh, and he allowed, yeah. or, you know, they, I don't, I use he just by default, because I think the show does that a lot, yeah. too, but. The show the show uses he. Uh-huh. It's pretty clear from everything about them that the Vorlons are non-gender. Yeah, yeah, I think that... I've been trying to make a point. I think that is something that would change in the modern version of the show. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So they did show themselves to Lita, 
and mm-hmm. I wonder what she saw. I don't. I would like to yeah. know. I would like to know. I think Lita sees the true Vorlon, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. Not the angel projection. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of her experience as a telepath, that she would get that, because the telepath can see through the mind and the thoughts, yeah. right? So would know that it was a projection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that that's my thought, at yeah. least. There was nothing in this episode, at least, confirming what Lita did or didn't see that I could find in any of the notes and stuff I was reading. Um, I do have one more thing, yeah, which I think is very interesting. It's probably the most interesting bit to come out of uh, the Usenet notes. Okay. Obviously, we've confirmed that Vorlons have been visiting Earth. We knew that they were on Earth in the 1800s last episode. Yeah. That was a plot point. <laughs> Stealing serial killers and rapists and stuff. Cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, great job, good guys. <laughs> Anyways, JMS notes kind of like, he kind of just drops this very subtly, I feel. But he's all like, well, it'd be a lot easier for them to exploit the belief of angels than to create it mm-hmm. logistically, which I think is super interesting mm-hmm. because there, if that is the case, if that's the Vorlon's MO is to find a creature of light and then exploit it as they're the Vorlons, right? Or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. when they're influencing a society, why do all these societies still have angels then? Mm-hmm. That 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 to me is super fucking culturally interesting from an anthropology standpoint. Because when you say, okay, well, all these cultures have angels because the Vorlon showed up and made angels in their culture, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's why something and people's so far and so different where they couldn't possibly influence each other through the vastness of space would have thorough threads in their cultural background, in their religious iconography, right? Mm -hmm. But for that to not be the case, and for cultures to just universally have an icon of light for the Vorlons to exploit Uh is so fucking interesting to me. Yeah. Like, how would that possibly happen? Well, it doesn't because the, the Centauri worship their old emperors, right? Right. They don't have they don't have angels apparently. Mm-hmm. I could see exploiting that though, and if I was a advanced species like the Vorlons, you know, oh, 100%. you know, great old emperor, sense. what's his face shows up and in a beam of light, and you know, they could do it with that yeah. for sure. Yeah, but they didn't clearly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, Londo would have seen you know the first emperor. It's just like, how does that happen? <gasps> you know, it would have been wild though if Londo mm. saw Emperor Turin. The one that oh, he, if I got Turin back, if if he uh, saw the emperor that he betrayed, <laughs> oh, that would have been so fucking wild. Oh, man, oh. it's a reboot idea for you, <laughs> right? JMS, take that. <laughs> Treat us and let us know you're taking it just for our personal satisfaction. Not so that we, like, we don't we don't like, claim any yours. rights to this idea. We don't want yeah. anybody. You could, yeah, yeah. I don't want you to worry about getting sued yeah but no just just know mm-hmm. just know that that just floated in the ether yeah, yeah let your brain hear it even though you probably will never listen to this yeah, fucking podcast no, that's no, fine no, that's fine yeah I, I hope you're busy making the reboot and not listening to this podcast. same same so delenn visits sheridan to talk about what happened mm-hmm. the shadows will see the vorlon they know this what this is they see this is the vorlons entering the fray 
mm-hmm. but so long as they feel hidden, like the shadows aren't revealed, they won't emerge. Oh, oh, are, do you hear that, Laura? Do you hear that beeping? Huh? Uh, you hear that? Where's that coming from? There's a ISN news report at this very moment. Oh no! Um, apparently, hotshot pilot, worst character uh, before season five, accidentally provokes intergalactic war earlier than anyone wanted. Oh no! <laughs> Talk about going out in a blaze, like right? Whoop whoop whoop! Just reveal the space ghost. <laughs> right. Mm. Zorak is not pleased. Before all that, though, we get a bit of setup over a minor key theme on strings, recapping how fucked everything is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get the announcement of the non-aggression treaty. And while we're, you know, getting all this, how fucked are we going into this new year exposition? We watch Zach as he watches that shopkeeper that he threw under the mm-hmm. bus get arrested by the Ministry of yep. Peace. And there's a very threatening sign put on that door. Oh, yeah. Pending allegations of sedition, I think it said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure does. Pending allegations of sedition on... Just what you like to see. A storefront. Not ominous at all. <laughs> no, nothing to see here. Totally normal. Move along. Yeah, so let's see. We're wrapping up our second year on Babylon 5. Not a lot better than that first one. Well, I mean, we say that the mission has failed. Yeah. Babylon 5 is no longer the last best hope for peace. Instead, this next year, this next season, it will turn into the last best hope for victory. (laughs) Yep, we're going to get that new theme. So Mm -hmm. That sweet, sweet new theme. Mm, Season 3. (laughs) Can't wait, but we do have a little bit before then. Next week, we've got our season two recap episode Mm -hmm. where we'll be talking about that and input that hopefully y'all sent us before you're listening to this, because if you're listening to this now and you're deciding to send us some season two recap, it's too late. (laughs) We were we're recording that episode in two days and this isn't coming out for another week and a half. So, oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you can send us some thoughts and we'll get to them when we do our next mailbag Mm -hmm. segment a couple weeks into season three. Your thoughts are always welcome in the discord. We always, we appreciate everything. We love talking B5 with everyone in our community of fans. We really appreciate all of you. Mm -hmm. After the season two recap, we're going to have book club where Laura and I will be talking about Dark Genesis, The Birth of the Psychor. Yeah. Written by uh, J. Gregory Keyes, mm-hmm. as I'm looking at it on my bookshelf right now, unread mm-hmm. in my to read pile. I have a little to read shelf it's sitting on right now. Yeah. These are these are quick reads, though. They're, they move yeah. just like an episode, if I remember correctly. So we'll have that. And then we're going to have two weeks off, as is our season ending treat to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be back with season three. Yeah, I can't wait. Such such good material coming for us in season three. Season three is a really strong season. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to it. Season three, I don't think it's a stretch to say it's probably some of the best Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially given season four is kind of crunch time because they didn't think they were going to get season five. Yeah. And then season five is, well, it's not Crusade. <laughs> yeah season four i remember it just being a little awkward because we crunched some stuff up but i remember them being there being some real gems in season four too so 
Oh, for sure. Excited. And there's there's a lot of bangers in season four. There's a lot of great speeches in season four. There's a lot of great moments in season four. And mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. But we'll get there in, you know, 30 weeks <laughs> from now. Give or take. We'll be talking about season four. Yeah. Matt, 32 weeks from now, we'll be talking about season four. But for now, we'd love to thank Jeremy Siegel for our lovely theme music. You can find more of Jeremy Siegel's work at jeremysiegel42.bandcamp.com. And thank you to Angry Duck Time Machine on Instagram for our lovely podcast artwork. And we mentioned the Discord. Show show up there. Hang out. Chill. Mm-hmm. Be a fan of Babylon 5 with us because we'll just geek out about B5 all the time. Hang out in our meme lord section. Talk spoilies. We're here for it. If you need that Discord link, you can get it at the email. Yes. Who are you? B5 at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'll get you that Discord link. You can also find it on our Facebook group. I will occasionally post it to the Twitter when I remember <laughs> that we have a Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Which has been more lightly because it's been very active with the uh, the League of Non-Aligned Podcasts, which has been great to see. Mm-hmm. We love our B5 podcast fam. Links to all of that is in our other podcast folder in our Discord as well. Yeah. Okay. See you next week, Internet. Bye. Bye.